Luke chapter 24, let's read this together. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture, then I'm going to read a second passage in Acts chapter 2. Luke 24, verse 49, reads like this. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Then I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Acts 2, verse 1 reads like this, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Father, thank you for your word today and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, give us ears to hear and help us to be able to sense what you're doing in this place and to respond appropriately. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, again, we'd like to say good morning to everybody. And we are glad that you're here. Our notes are in the app today if you want to follow along with those. But we're extremely excited about what Jesus is uh, doing in this place. I hope all of you endured the frosty weather we had this weekend. Amen? How many of you agree it was pretty frosty outside? And, uh, I, you know, they kept saying it's going to snow, it's going to snow. And I said, yeah, yeah, it'll just be a little bit. And it just kept on, and it just kept on, and it just kept on like the song that never ended. And so, anyway, I'm excited about that. And I don't know about you, my, my, my grandmother used to tell me and my mom as well not to wish away the time. Uh, and so, enjoy the season that you're in. But I sure am looking forward to spring. Amen? Hallelujah. Here, this microphone dropped off my... I tell you, the the enemy does not want to share this word today, but God's good. Amen? So, I'm so excited about spring. And, uh, you know, last month we did a series entitled Excess Baggage, and we talked about things that we want to leave behind in the old year. We talked about fear and anxiety and doubt and unbelief and things like that. And um, really all of us, as we're getting through uh, these things and getting into February, we've already gotten established on our New Year's resolutions. Now, for those of you who decided to read the Bible all the way through uh, this year, you're probably just about getting ready to bump up against Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Amen? So I'd encourage you, hold on. Stay steadfast. Um, actually, what I would really encourage you to do next time you decide to do that is do a chronological Bible. And uh, that way you don't necessarily have to go through that at the beginning. You can just kind of go through that later on down through the end. But that's something that I'm doing right now as well. So I'm excited about that. We've kind of started to go through some of those things. But this month as I was praying, I've been asking the Holy Spirit what He wanted me to talk about, what my focus uh, should be over the next couple of weeks and he gave me the title for the series, Upside Down. And I began to say, okay, Lord, what do you mean by upside down? And he began to talk to me about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the early church and his desire to have a fresh outpouring in our day. And so as we begin to look at this over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be upside down? What does it mean when the Holy Spirit comes and wrecks our life? You know, um, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, Miss Ann Hill's funeral is going to be here. And I failed to mention that, but I want you guys to come and join us with that if you can. But it triggered a memory 
that about four years ago, Pastor Blonnie and I got the call that Woodward was interested in us coming here to check out the church. And so we, we did the, the whole thing that the, the, the uh, disciples did, or they actually the 12 spies in Israel, they went to seek out the land. And so we did that. We took a weekend. We came and checked it out, drove around. And uh, that weekend, uh, Roscoe and Ann were actually uh, on the board at that time. Roscoe was, and he was kind of enlisted to show me around the town. But before that, I had taken my own initiative, and I began to Google things about Woodward, Oklahoma. And, of course, if you Google Woodward, Oklahoma, there are a couple things that pop up, and you know this, especially those of you who live here. The two historic tornadoes that came through and devastated uh, our city. Uh, you know, the first one, you know, uh, really, really had great devastation. The second one was bad, but it wasn't quite as bad. And, of course, you know, that last one devastated all of that area back behind the movie theater and all of that stuff. And as I was Googling, I found a video clip from a news station, and it was Roscoe Hill interviewing the people going around town, showing them where the damage was and all of those types of things. And so when you think about a tornado, as a tornado rips through a community, you might walk away saying, man, that tornado really turned that community upside down. Or when you think about being upside down, you might even think about what was referred to as our former president who was not in politics at all before he came into the White House. He was a businessman. And so he came at it from a different response and a different approach. And, you know, after those four years, people said, man, he really turned the White House in D.C. upside down. So when I think of the word upside down, I think of something that violently overthrows or overturns something leaving a lasting impact. And I want to tell you, greater than a tornado, no matter what size it is, and greater than any politician who goes in and tries to reform a system greater than any of those things, the Holy Spirit is able to turn upside down what man cannot turn upside down. There's no force greater than the force of the Holy Spirit. Come on, are you with me this morning? Say amen. Hallelujah. So this morning, we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church as he began to transform and reform the very society from the disciples to the religious systems to the communities and ultimately around the world. I'm telling you, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is vitally important. Now, this morning I am going to uh, do my very best to give you some framework, some groundwork into the life and ministry of the precious third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and show you what his role is in our life, what his role has been through history, and what he wants to do in our lives today. It's vitally, vitally important. In Acts chapter 2 records uh, the disciples whenever Jesus had gotten ready to go to the cross. Our opening text in Luke records that one verse that we read in Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus told them, he said, it's expedient that I go away because if I do not go, I cannot send the comforter to you. The Holy Spirit can't come to you if, you don't, if I don't go away. And so Jesus told them in Luke 24, he said, I want you to go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem 
There was the great feast, the feast of Pentecost, the one feast where the Jews celebrated the ingathering of the harvest every single year. And so people were coming to this place. They were gathering. A crowd was gathering. Everybody say a crowd was gathering. A crowd was gathering in Jerusalem. And Jesus told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. And so these disciples went there. The scripture says there were 500 people whom Jesus showed himself alive to and told them to go to Jerusalem. 500. But yet the scripture records in Acts chapter 1 and 2 that only 120 disciples made their way to an upper room prayer meeting. 500 down to 120. I don't know what happened to the 380. I don't know why they decided not to obey the Lord. But these 120, which happened to include the disciples, those who were friends of the ministry, Jesus' mother Mary, and other people, they went to this place, this upper room, and they prayed and they waited for the promise of the Father. And in Acts chapter 2, The scripture records that when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In other words, that day on the calendar, it it lined up perfectly. When it fully came, they were all in one place. They were all in one accord. And suddenly, a sound from heaven came like a mighty rushing wind. There was activity that happened in that upper room. It flowed and it blew and it, and it caused a ruckus. And that filled the whole entire house where they sat. And cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each one of them individually. The wind filled the house, but the fire sat upon them individually. And the fire sat upon them, and the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not 80 of them, not 90 of them, not 60 of them. All 120 of them, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And of those 120, there stood one in particular by the name of Simon Peter. Simon Peter was the rough cuss, rough around the edges, cut the guy's ears off, uh, ear off, who was trying to come at Jesus, and he was the one who even denied the Lord three times. But yet Peter's life drastically changed when he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit came, and all of a sudden, this disciple who was weak and didn't want to face the crowd now runs right out down into the street where the people are and points his finger in the very face of the crowd who crucified the Messiah and preached the gospel unto them, told them to repent, to be baptized, to receive the Holy Spirit. And it was a a powerfully impactful moment of how the Holy Spirit transformed the life of Peter. I tell you, the Holy Spirit didn't just transform the life of Peter that day. The Holy Spirit transformed the life of the world that day because something amazing happened. That's why this morning, I want to take a few moments before I get into the meat and potatoes of this and give you uh, a synopsis, if you will, of what the Holy Spirit's activity has been throughout human history. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I'll tell you about this is, number one, I want to talk about the Spirit with us. The Spirit with us. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit's activity as He's with us in everyday life. Um, You don't have to turn there this morning, but Genesis chapter 1 says this about the Spirit being with us. 
Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. And then Genesis 1-3 says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So right there at the very onset of creation, we see the Godhead working in function. Why? Because in Genesis 1, he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. You said, who is us? Well, Colossians says that Jesus was present at creation. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we see God the Father, we see the Word, Christ, and then we see the Holy Spirit at work in Genesis chapter 1. And the Holy Spirit was sitting there. He was waiting. He was waiting in the beginnings of creation for the Word of God to tell him what to do. And the Bible says, and God said, and it happened because the Holy Spirit was moving over creation. So the Holy Spirit's been active in the world ever since the very beginning. The Holy Spirit has also been active in the lives of God's people all throughout human history. The Old Testament saints did not have salvation such as we do, where we had the redemption of sins and and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But yet, people like Elijah, the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him or anointed him for a service. And then when he accomplished that task, the Holy Spirit lifted off of him. The Bible says the same thing about Samson, that Samson, whenever he had to do what he had to do, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and the Bible said that God anointed Samson, but that anointing did not stay, it was not present forever. The Bible says the same exact thing concerning Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Malachi, all of the prophets of the Old Testament. They had the the touch of the Holy Spirit upon their lives, but it was not a permanent indwelling, and it was not a permanent infilling. The Holy Spirit was present, but yet He would come for a purpose. But Acts chapter 2 literally changed everything. Because Jesus told them that when the Holy Spirit came, he was going to literally change some things. Look at John 16, verse 8 with me. John 16, verse 8. And they should have those on the screen if that's all working right. It says, and when he has come, meaning the spirit of truth, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now that's just a partial part of a verse and you can go and read the rest of it in context. But he's talking about when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to convict the world of sin. That world, a world, a word right there rather for world, it, it literally means the cosmos. It doesn't mean sinner. It doesn't mean unsaved people. It literally means if you look it up in the Strong's, which is a Greek concordance and Hebrew concordance, it literally means the inhabitants of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he came to stay. He came here. He was outpoured. And he is present right now on this earth. Jesus did what he came to do, died on the cross. And when he was done, he sent the Holy Spirit right down here. And Jesus made it very plain that I will send one who is just like me, who will come alongside of you. He will comfort you. He will be with you. He will be the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came into the earth, one of his jobs was to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he goes on to begin to talk about that over and over and over again. I want you to know something, my friend. The Holy Spirit is with us. 
He is present in this world. God is omnipresent. When we talk about God being everywhere at all times, literally we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. There's not a bar room the Holy Spirit can't go in. There's not a strip club the Holy Spirit can't go in. There's not a crack house the Holy Spirit can't go in. His presence is everywhere. In fact, David said it like this, Where can I go that I run or hide from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, even you're there. David said, I can't run from the presence of God. Why? Because His presence is everywhere. And this is important, my friends. Why? Because it's because of this reason that even a sinner who doesn't know Christ can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why a person can be in a service like this or they can be in a moment where God shows up tangibly and they can say, whew, I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know how to put words into, into thought of how I really feel right now. But I feel something. I feel different. That's because the Holy Spirit is with us and He's convicting the world of sin and of not believing in Christ and He's drawing people to Himself. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus famous on the earth. That's His job. The Holy Spirit's job is to make Jesus famous. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He says, when the, when the Spirit comes, He will not speak of Himself, but the things which I have testified. The Holy Spirit came to magnify Jesus. Folks, I want you to know something right now that the Holy Spirit is just like He was hovering in creation. He is here on this earth right now looking for something to get involved with, looking for something to bless, looking for people who are hungry. The Holy Spirit's activity has not been pulled away from the church. He's rather looking for somebody who is willing to say yes to the Holy Spirit's power. But this one fact ought to be hope, consolation, and peace to our hearts. For those of us who have children, grandchildren, spouses, people in our families, friends that we love who don't know Christ. Because unless they've become a reprobate and completely turned their back on the Lord... The Bible says the Holy Spirit continues to draw, continues to convict, because the Spirit is with us and He's present. Is anybody thankful about that today? I'm thankful the Holy Spirit is with us. He's with us everywhere we go. That's why, that's why we can pray for our lost loved ones. You say, Pastor, they won't come to church. That's great. You know how we pray? Lord God, I pray right now. You, you send the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit into that bar. Send it right now to wherever they're at right now. And I pray that you would send somebody in their path. Manifest an angel in human flesh. Whatever you've got to do, Lord, right now, let your presence be made known to them. You can pray for your lost loved ones and God can go where they are because that's what He does. The Holy Spirit is with us. But then there was another measure or another dimension of the Holy Spirit's ministry that we need to look at. This is important. We looked at the Spirit with us. The second thing is the Spirit in us. Everybody say the Spirit in us. Now, let's look at this. John 14, verse 16 through 17. Here's what Jesus said. I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper 
that he might abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. What it means by the world can't receive, meaning in the form of salvation. The world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, watch this, for he dwells with you, right? Present. Jesus telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit dwells with you right now, present. He dwells with you, but notice this is future tense, and will be in you. He said right now he dwells with you. But when he comes, he's not just going to dwell with you. He will be in you. So the Holy Spirit wanted to get inside of the believer. And so what we see is that after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, God's desire was for the Spirit of God to be inside of man. That means that the Holy Spirit is not just with us, but he can be in us. I hear some of y'all, Pastor, I don't know about all that now. Let's, let's look at it a little further. Look at John 20, verse 22. This is after the resurrection, by the way. Redemption of sin has already been provided for. The resurrection has already happened. And these disciples who were following Christ, they were walking with them. And verse 22 says, and when he had said this, he called them to himself. And he said this to them. He breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. These disciples were the first bona fide, born-again people in the New Testament. They had followed Christ, received his ministry, received him as Savior, turned from their sin. And now after his resurrection, he showed himself alive to them. They received him as the Savior. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit came on the inside of them. He said, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're saved... The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. It's not an if, an and, a maybe. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Lutheran, Lutheran, whatever, Methodist. If you're really saved, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You say, Pastor, now I wasn't taught that growing up. Well, that's why we've got a lot of wrong theology. And I want to correct some of it today. The Holy Spirit at salvation is the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you. Paul writes to the, to the church at Galatia and he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit begin to grow in our lives when Christ is on the inside of us, when the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. So what happens is that we begin to grow in the Lord and the Holy Spirit lives there. Let me just say it to you like this. It is impossible to be saved without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. Totally important. Now here's where I'm going to mess you up. How many of you are ready to get messed up this morning? Here's where I'm going to mess you up. The first dimension of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit with us. Second dimension is the Holy Spirit in us. But the third dimension is the Spirit upon us. The Spirit upon us. Now here's where we get today. Luke chapter 24. You ready? Jesus tells his disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But I want you to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued. That word endued there, it means to be clothed. Like putting on a garment. Till you be endued with power from on high. 
So, so, here, so here, we, here we go, right? So Jesus told these disciples to go to Jerusalem to receive the power, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. But yet, before these guys get to Jerusalem, John records, he called them to himself, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where it gets fun. If these disciples received everything that they needed to have when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, then why are they going to the upper room? They weren't in Jerusalem when Jesus did that. They weren't tarrying for the promise of the Father. That See, because there are different experiences with the Holy Spirit. There's the experience of conversion. There's the experience of salvation. And then there's the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to be with us. He comes inside of us. And then the Spirit comes upon us. Everybody say upon us. It's important, folks. It's vitally, 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 vitally important because I hear people say all the time, well, pastor, I'm saved. I've got all of the Holy Spirit I need to have. The disciples didn't know it, and Jesus didn't know it either. Because he told them to be received the Holy Spirit. Then he sent them to the upper room and told them to wait until the promise came. So I want you to see this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Notice this. You shall receive power. When, or one translation says after, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everybody say upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. See, Jesus told him, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, these are people who had already received the Holy Spirit in them. They were already saved, sealed by the power of God. They were saved as saved can be. But Jesus told them, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, this is the promise that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 24. He said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait until I send the promise of my Father upon you. It was a promise to give them power to do the works of Christ after the Lord had left them. Notice this. This experience had nothing to do with salvation, but everything to do with empowerment. I want you to hear it like this. The Spirit in us is for salvation, but the Spirit upon us is for service. The Spirit in us is for salvation, but the Spirit upon us is for, salva- is for uh, service. So I want you to think about this. If you have a bottle of water and it's full, right? The water is inside of the bottle. Hun, would you hand me my bottle, please? Let me, get, let me give you an example. Say this water, hypothetically, is full. It can't hold another drop. That, this, this container is a reservoir of water. Okay? Now, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But there are other 316s in the Bible. For instance, Luke 316. There's one coming after me whose shoes I'm unworthy to loose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's the word baptize mean? 
We all know it when it has to do with immersion in water. A person goes down into the water dry, they come up wet. The water is on them, around them, right? You have been immersed. So notice this. This bottle has water on the inside of it. There's no absence of water from this bottle. What is inside is what is inside. But if I were to take this bottle and take the cap off and push it down into a full baptismal tank, what would happen? There would not be just water on the inside. There would be water on the outside. And that's what he means when he said he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit is in us for salvation, but he wants to come on us, upon us for service so that you and I can change the world around us with the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Are you with me this morning? I'm talking about the Spirit upon us. This experience turned the world upside down. It took 120 people on the day of Pentecost to receive the mighty infilling of the Holy Spirit to be outpoured upon. And literally to this day, billions of people have received the message of the gospel. So powerful that the power of the Holy Spirit came upon their lives. Changed Peter. Changed John. It changed all of them to where they lived a different life because they had encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, friends, listen to me. I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit is beckoning you into an encounter with the Spirit-filled life. God wants to gloriously baptize you and clothe you in the power of His Holy Spirit. Scriptures filled with examples in the book of Acts where they came upon people who were already saved. Acts 19, for example, they, Paul was passing through the upper coast of Ephesus and he found disciples of John and he says, what were you baptized in? They said, Jesus uh, is, is baptism or uh, John's baptism for repentance. And he said, they baptized him in the name of the Lord. He laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. When they went down to Cornelius' house and began to preach to the Gentiles, they received the word of God and they were already saved and then they filled the with them with the power of the Holy Spirit. We see it over and over again throughout the Scripture, the pattern of God's will for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I love the way the Apostle Paul said it in Ephesians 5, verse 18. He said, Be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. God's people, everybody say God's people. God's people are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to communicate this to you any clearer than I can this morning, but this is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the full gospel. We believe in all of the entirety of Scripture. We are a heaven-preaching church. We are a hell-preaching church. We're a grace-preaching church. We're a justice-preaching church. Come on. We preach the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, all the entirety of the Bible. But make no mistake about it, friends. We are a New Testament, blood-washed, Spirit-empowered church. Come on. And we believe that everything that He said in the book of Acts belongs to us today. Oh, y'all don't hear me this morning. Whew. That's why statistics say in the average Assemblies of God church, less than 50% of its adherents are baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Friends, that puts us in a minority, not in the majority. I would submit to you, we need a revival. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need God to, to, to drench us to overflowing. Hallelujah. I believe there's some people in this room today, you need to get under the spout where the glory comes out, and you need to stay there until your life is radically changed by the power and the presence of a living God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in and through your life. And friends, I get so frustrated when you watch TV and you see the agendas that are out there in the world. You know, I feel so sorry for my children who are in school today because they have to deal with so many things that we never had to deal with. Worst thing I had to deal with was chewing gum in, in class when I was in, the, in grade school and, and somebody smoking a little pot in high school. And today, we've got transgenderism being pushed by our educational system. We've got homosexuality on every front. We've got the homosexuality wasn't enough. Now you can be a pansexual. You can marry a tree if you want to. You can do all kinds of things. Listen, the world is literally unashamed. They are unashamed of their sin. They are unashamed of their debauchery. They are unashamed to do what they do. Yet so many Christians are closet Pentecostals. They are ashamed of the power of God. They don't want to be associated with those tongue-talking, devil-casting out, Bible-believing believers. But I would to God in 2022 that people would come out of the closet for the power of God. Hallelujah. Friends, let me tell you something. Everybody's welcome here. But if this church doesn't fit your doctrinal beliefs, there's a lot of them in town. Glory to God. And I'm not changing for you. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe Christ is coming again. We believe heaven is to gain and hell is to be shunned. And friends, you and I need the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. you got to have it. The Holy Spirit baptism is not like the third row option of a truck at a car lot. You just take it if you want it or you can afford it. No, my friend, it's as necessity as the tires and the transmission and the wheels on the vehicle. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Whoo, God. You need it. You gotta have it. It's so important. Let me tell you a story. Say, Pastor, I'm saved. I don't need that to be saved. No, you don't need it to be saved. But you need it to go to Walmart and to drive on Oklahoma in the ice. Whew. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you. Give you boldness. Give you power. Give you gifts. Give you in, 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 in supernatural means to do what God has called you to do. I'll tell you, I was 14 years old. Those of you who know this story, went to church my whole life. Grand, great grandparents, pastors. My uncle's a pastor. Grandma was church secretary. My grandpa was a deacon. We didn't have an option when I was a kid to stay home from church. We were drug children, drugs from day one. Drugged it every time the door was open. Had homework, too bad. You don't stay home. You get a notepad, you hide under the pew and do it. We didn't get it by laying on our hands. We got it by osmosis. That's the way they believed. Just being in the atmosphere. And I, I'm telling you, I knew about Christ. I grew up in children's church. I knew this stuff. But when I was, it was when I was 13 years old that I really gave my life to Jesus. At a kid's camp. When our pastor, who was uh, uh, 
bivocational pastor of a small church who didn't have a children's church, took the kids and the youth to camp every year, took work off of his time because he had a secular job. He took us to camp, and, and I remember giving my life to Christ at 13 years old. Man, it changed my life. I mean, if salvation doesn't change your life, you didn't get saved. People say, yeah, it's, Christ is like, you know, I, I need to turn over a new leaf. No, you don't need a new leaf. You need a whole new tree. You need a whole new tree, and Calvary provided that. Salvation is not a new purse. Salvation is not shoes to match your dress. Salvation is a whole new outfit. It's the righteous robes of Christ traded for our filthy garments of sin. I knew at 13 years old, Jesus loved me, and he died for me, and I gave my life to Christ. But at age 14, I, I had an, another encounter. And, and I was, you know, called, called to preach in a dream. It was the craziest thing that ever happened to me. But prior to that, I had a school teacher. Now, this wouldn't fly today. But I had a school teacher. It was a lady. She was a single lady. She was a gifted and talented teacher. And she said, kids, my youth group at our church is really on fire for God. And she said, uh, if your parents will allow it, I'd like to take you to church tonight. And she took five or six of us kids in her van. Like I said, that'd probably be creepy today. It wouldn't fly today. But she was a great godly woman, and she took us. And that youth group was amazing. Changed my life. My youth pastor got up, and he said, if you want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I want you to come forward. And I watched as out of that group of 100 or so teenagers, 70 or 80, rushed, pushed past the front, stacked up their little blue chairs against the wall and went to the front and they began to be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. And God began to move in their life in a powerful way. They began to speak with tongues. As the Bible said, that's not weird, it's normal. It's normal. It happened every time they got filled in the book of Acts. They began to shake and cry and fall and Whatever, and so he came to me and he laid hands on me. Nothing happened. I felt something. I felt electricity. I felt the power of God, but there was no outward manifestation. And I knew because I read my Bible, that wasn't it. it. Wasn't that there was any power or problem on God's end. God was freely giving. I was having trouble receiving. Probably because I was too busy looking at what was going on to my right or my left or whatever. So I got home that night on a Wednesday night, really thinking about it. I said, man, whew, what an experience. Got up Thursday morning to go to school, 14 years old. Darren, you can come. Worship team, whoever's coming. 14 years old. Washing my hair, which I had a lot of. At that time, I do have picture evidence. No receding hairline or nothing at that point. I remember we had a little small bathroom, had a crank window up by the top of the tub, and I was let it open a little bit to let the steam out of the bathroom. And I began to talk to the Lord about that experience. And I said, God, so powerful. I said, I'm hungry for that. I'm thirsty for that. And I said, Lord, I know I didn't receive everything you had for me because I know the Bible says 
when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with tongues. And, and I said, Lord, I know that's a powerful experience. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, God rest, God, God, God bless my soul. Strike me dead from heaven right now if I'm lying. Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I was in that shower at 14 years old, and the Holy Spirit came in that shower and rested upon me. There wasn't anybody talking in my ear. Nobody was saying, turn loose. Nobody was saying, hold on. Nobody was saying, say Jesus real fast. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Nobody, none of that. None of that. That's how I know it was real for me. Look, God, God, everything he's done in my life has been unconventional. Unconventional. Wasn't called to preach in a youth camp, called to preach in a dream. Wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit at a youth service or kid service. I was filled by myself at the house. I wasn't healed at a Benny Hinn crusade. I was healed at a woman's conference. God has a big sense of humor. Big sense of humor. By the way, I was the pastor hosting the women's conference. I was only there to make sure the air conditioner was working properly. So God's always done unconventional things in my life. But I know that when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't know how to explain it, other than to say it's like a colorblind person seeing color for the first time. The grass was greener. The sky was bluer. The scripture made more sense to me. And I had a boldness to carry my Bible to high school and told my friends about Christ. I was so bold when I was a teenager. Some of you don't even know this. I, I had a white Pontiac Grand Dam. I had big letters on an eyebrow strip across my front of my car. It said sold out. It didn't say anything else. Because I knew people would ask me, what does that mean? And I told them, I'm sold out to Jesus Christ. What about you? Do you know him? 16 years old. What changed my life? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you one final scripture as we're getting ready to close. I see some of you are getting nervous. Stand up on your feet with me. Now, let me tell you, we're going to give an altar call in a minute for people who want to receive. And I want to tell you this. If you don't want it, don't come. Because you won't get it anyway. But if you're willing to receive, God has something for you. I want to read a scripture to you. We already read Acts chapter 2, right? We read that at the beginning. Verse 4 said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. And man, the Holy Spirit outpoured. Peter began to preach to them. Power began to flow. I want you to look at verse 38 with me. If they can throw that on the screen. If not, it's not a big deal. Peter gets done preaching, it says, and then Peter said to them, repent, every one of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift. Everybody say gift. That's the gift that Jesus said, you go wait for the promise of my Father. Notice this. So many people say, oh, Pastor, that's not for me. Mm -mm, that ain't for me. Mm-mm. That's for y'all. That's not for me. What's the Bible say? Verse 39. For the promise is to you. It's to your children. 
and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call unto salvation. He stood up. He said, you know what? This promise is for you, for your children, and for anybody else who's going to be saved. The Lord wants to baptize his people with the Holy Spirit. So powerful. In just a moment, I'm going to give an altar call. For some of you in this room, it's going to be absolutely different than anything you've ever experienced before. If you're a first-time guest, you may say, what in the world have I just walked into? You walked into a Holy Ghost experience. I want everybody to bow their head, close their eyes right now.